Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another week. Uh, originally, we were going to do um, Within Temptations Mother Earth, and we, we are still going to bring that to you next week. However, in light of the recent events uh, that transpired uh, earlier this month, we thought we would call an audible. And by that, I mean the tragic announcement of the death of guitarist and vocalist extraordinaire Alexei Leho from Children of Bodom. Uh, the, the metal world was shook uh, when we found out that Alexei had passed away um, sometime earlier this month. And we thought it would be a fitting tribute for us to do a Children of Bodom episode just because, uh, obviously, the timeliness and be really as a tribute uh, to Alexei's work. Um, you know, it's, it's a bit of a shock to all of us. And I'll be the first to say I was never the biggest Children of Bodom fan only because I really never heard a lot of their stuff. Uh, but just hearing the announcement, it really kind of forced us to dig deep and, 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 and start, you know, checking this out because I think it's something that we both had missed. Agreed. Um, I will say this is a band that it was probably the first uh, death metal band that I ever really enjoyed and kind of led the way for me to be a little bit more uh, open-minded about death vocals and, and things that are a little more harsh. So, um, but I was always kind of uh, drawn to the, um, the uh, something wild album. Is that what it was? Or um, yeah, the something wild album. Um, Which is and, one of their first discs actually. It yeah, came out uh, you know what? I'm sorry. I meant to say uh, the follow the reaper album. Um, okay. And the song, especially the song "Every Time I Die," um, probably my favorite uh, Bodum song. But the, I was drawn to that album uh, because I really, I really enjoyed the the, the keys. Um, just that kind of melodic uh, keyboard, very like it sounds like it was the keys were very inspired by Jens Johansson from Stradivarius. But um, it, just that it was just so different hearing a band that was like melodic but didn't have you know clean vocals and it was really interesting to me and i remember thinking to myself like i, I can't believe i'm enjoying this this is this is good stuff so it, it was cool to um to kind of really listen i i ended up listening to this album six times this week um, well, well let's well actually let's get into the album we selected right because they have they have a pretty um sizable discography and, and have you know they started in 1993 and they really went up strong up until last year with their hexed album uh you know i wasn't really sure which album to do um if you ask different people i think everyone has a different favorite so to speak so i, I was doing a little bit of research and I found an interview uh, that Alexei had done with Kerrang! Magazine, where he was asked to rank all the Bodum albums from, uh, you know, basically from 10 to 1 in terms of his 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 favorites. And as I was reading it, I, I was, you know, a pretty interesting read. And uh, this is the description that he came out with for the number one album, which he uh, had as Hate Crew Death Roll. And I, this is a direct quote. That's the album that fucking broke everything for us. The shows got bigger. Festivals got bigger, and we sold a lot of records. I could have never imagined being on MTV Headbangers Ball. Me and my sister grew up watching Vanessa Warwick. So for us, Headbangers Ball wasn't just a TV show. It was a fucking event. We always had to watch it in secret, too, because it would be on at 1130 at night, and we had to be in bed. But we got permission to tape it so one of us could be up to press record on the VHS. 
Of course, me and my sister would plot out a way to get the other downstairs to watch it, and it was the best shit ever. It just goes to show that there were probably kids out there doing exactly what me and my sister did and seeing children of head, uh, children of Bodom on Headbangers Ball, which is pretty fucking cool. And and from what I understand, he actually has a t- tattoo uh, from, from the album art of this album because I guess he just considered this the pinnacle of Bodom. So if, if, if Alexei thought that Hate True Death Roll was their number one album, that was the album that we were going to choose. And that's kind of the one that we're going to break down for everybody today. Right. And... Um... You know, I learned a lot about um, this album, the band, Alexei himself. Uh, one of the things was that um, the Hate Crew was um, like a group of friends that the Bodum members formed. And there was a rite of passage, which absolutely sounds horrible to me. But um, it's called the Death Roll, where uh, if you've ever done a keg stand when you were in college, uh, this is where you would do a keg stand you do a a head you basically stand on your head on top of a beer keg and you would you know chug as much beer from the keg as you can before being let down but in this case they would chug a bottle of vodka until the entire bottle was empty and then they would land on the other side performing the the flip at which I, I just, mean, just the thought of that yeah, uh, br- bring, brings me back about 20 years and also makes me scared to death. Yeah, rock, rock and roll, I guess. I, 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 when I was reading that, I'm like, did I read that wrong? No, no, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's exactly how it, how it read. <laughs> so yeah, yeah he, it, he has, it, he has those letters, uh, C O B H C for children of Bodom hate crew. They're tattooed. They were tattooed on his, uh, his left hand. So, um, there you go. There yeah. You go. So I don't know if the album was named after that or the activity was named after the album, but uh, either way, that's uh, that's that's something. And I also uh, I found out about the uh, the where the name of the band came from. Because All right. I think at this point, everyone has to sit down, get out their history books, get out a pencil, and start taking notes because this was uh, this was definitely uh, news to me when I when I saw this as well. So. Uh, I'm going to turn the floor over to you, Professor Nietzsche. Do your thing. <laughs> well, the band was originally called Inearthed. Um, so um, Children of Bodom wasn't their original name, but it turns out that they had named uh, the band after uh, one of the most uh, famous unsolved homicide cases in Finnish criminal history. Um, it took place back in 1960 at Bodom Lake, where um, three... Uh, teenagers were attacked, uh, one of which actually survived, and three of them died um, by stabbing and blunt force trauma to their heads. So that's wonderful. And um, and the perpetrator was never identified, and all these theories have gone on about who it was, but um, they never figured solved it out. It. Yeah, never yeah. solved it. And the, the, the surviving teenager was um, arrested on uh, on suspicion of committing the murders 44 years later in 2004 but he was found not guilty <clears throat> so to this day um it's never been solved and uh since the lake was named Bodom Lake um and the, they were children uh there's your name were, of the band yeah so um now real it, positive it, stuff to start out the day today <laughs> 
Yeah, it sounds like we're about to do a black metal episode and go go to Norway, but we'll stay in Finland for the time being. What was your first exposure to these guys? Because um, I kind of have an interesting story when I first heard them, um, it, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you the floor. When, when did you first hear um, Bodum's music? Yeah, I, I was always aware that the band existed, but to be honest with you, I don't think I ever even heard them. So uh, it was when I when I... When I moved uh, to upstate New York and I became friends with Caleb, um, he was the one who said to me, like, I think you might like this band. You know, he was into a little bit more heavier stuff. He he was OK with with these these death vocals, which I just was never a fan of. And so, you know, I, I snagged a couple of their earlier albums and I used to just shuffle my iTunes uh, albums randomly while I was working and whatever came on came on and, and one day uh, Follow the Reaper came on which was the album that uh, came out prior to Hate Crew Death Roll in 2000 and I just remember thinking to myself like you know as I mentioned earlier this is this is quite good and I ended up really enjoying it and you know through the years I you know I always kept um, you know my radar on the band and I would always buy their their newest releases and listen to them I was never a huge fan admittedly, but I always enjoyed them and, and always appreciated a, 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 something a little bit different. And, and I realize now like how many other bands have been inspired by, by their sound, you know, since they became popular. Yeah. They, they really were trendsetters in a number of ways. Um, I first heard Alexei play on his one of his side projects and the guys the guy was in a number of different bands I, I would argue that maybe the second most successful project he had after or while he was doing Bodum was a band called Synergy uh, it was a band that had released three albums um, Beware the Heavens which came out in 1999 To Hell and Back which came out in 2000 and another album called Suicide by My Side, which came out in 2002. And this was uh, a little bit different in the sense that it was it, it, it was not quite as heavy as, as Bodum, just in terms of the music. But it also had uh, Kimberly Goss, a clean female vocalist, sing over the top of his ridiculous guitar playing and uh, that, that kind of... Um, that keyboard sound, which I guess everyone has now come to know Bodum for between the, that, that, that interplay between the keyboards and the guitars. And so I first heard Alexei play on these three synergy albums. I was a pretty big fan of theirs, uh, you know, going back about 20 years. Uh, and, and when I was kind of going through my synergy, you know, uh, booklets for, for the CDs that I had purchased back in the day, I found out about this other band, but for whatever reason, I guess at the time, I just wasn't a big melodic death metal guy. And we'll get into that, I'm sure, when we do um, another melodic death metal album. But, you know, it's, it's, I, I guess I'll say that because I wasn't really into that other style and because I just enjoyed Synergy so much, I just never really looked at his other work until it was probably about 10 years ago when I first heard them. And it was one of those things where I felt like I, I guess I had just kind of glossed over them because my foray into harsher vocals and, and to that style was stuff that was really just kind of coming out like um, newer soil work stuff, uh, some of the uh, some of the In Flames albums that were coming out at the time, and uh, bands like Mercenary, who are some of my all time favorite bands. But I just never really checked these guys out until they were like well into their career and almost changing styles a bit 
because they kind of did a little bit of a pivot uh, midway through their career in terms of their their um, their sound. Right, and this album is kind of where I think the pivot took place. Um, I, I too was a fan of Synergy. I really liked uh, Kimberly's vocals a lot. I thought she was a really talented singer, and I was surprised to to do some research and realize that she really hasn't done anything since synergy uh disbanded in uh, the early 2000s and uh her and alexi were actually married in 20 uh 2002 after dating for four years and they didn't they only stayed married i think for a couple of years but they they remained close friends and i think were close friends up until his death um and also another thing I never really realized was that um, Marco Hayatala from uh, Nightwish was the bass player on the the last two Synergy albums. Um, so a lot of uh, a lot of Finnish metal royalty um, involved. Came the ranks of that band, you know. Yeah, and and, and so like yeah, same with they, me. Like, like, I, I always thought. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I always thought they were like a like kind of like a a, a cultish type band in the sense that they had a, like a really strong following and, and fans of the band really love their work but at the same time they never really exploded onto the scene i know they toured with nightwish but they never really just got to that like level that a uh an epica or a, a within temptation or a nightwish would you know ultimately get to but that just could be a product of the fact that they stopped recording in 2002 and these other bands really hit it in the mid 2000s you know 2005 2006 when those other bands really started to take off yeah i agree i, I think that had they continued there's a good chance that they would have seen more success, but you know, the final album was released in 2002. So um, yeah, I'd always, there were another band that I think I had heard so many times, like or heard of, I just assumed they were a much bigger deal than they really, than they actually were. Um, yeah. But going back and listening, like I, I never realized it was the same guitar player from children of Bodom, but I mean, you can hear that, um, that just technical prowess that he has as a guitar player really shine through. Um, and, and then when you go and listen to children of Bodom, you, you know, obviously that's, it's Front very center, apparent yeah. there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get into, uh, let's get into hate crew for a second. It's, it's, it's interesting because I, I don't remember hearing this album. I feel like it's something I probably heard, but I just didn't either pay attention to it or, or it's possible. I just never heard this album and I'm, 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 I'll admit it. I I was uh, surprised that you know they they he picked an album as his favorite, and I have just never heard it. I think I've listened to thousands upon thousands of albums, and this either just didn't register with me at the time that I listened to it, or I just listened to it once, or I never listened to it. It's it's kind of interesting when when you when you uh, when you go back and when you look at this thing. Um, but the second I put it on, uh, the first track, Needle 24-7, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I said to myself, my God, I, I've, there's, there's a clear void in my, in my, in my knowledge base because, uh, the, you know, arguably one of the best songs on the disc, it hits you like a ton of bricks because it's just so fast and powerful. Um, and, and, and his guitar work, I think, stands out uh, above everything else on the disc, to be honest with you. Yep, absolutely agreed. Um, it's... To me, like every, like the whole album is just like, it's this just 40 minute, like, it's just a blast of, of just fast, you know, fast guitar riffs and, and like, you know, heavy growling and like, it it's just very powerful stuff. Like just really, um, I was like surprised when it ended. I was like, oh my God, that was it. Like it was, it was so fast, nine tracks and just like 
blew by. I'll admit like the first few times I heard it, it, it was almost like it all kind of bled together for me. Like it, it took me a, a few listens to really start to kind of appreciate the nuances. I, I guess yeah, exactly. like that's how I felt. Exactly. Like, you know, or just how to tell the difference between one song from the other. Um, I mean, like I said, this is not like my favorite type of music, but I ended up by the time I was done with this really actually appreciating and enjoying this album a lot. Yeah, I I have to agree. You know, it's funny. They start off with such a heavy hitter that some of the tracks that come after it, for example, even even Six Pounder and Chokehold, they slow it down just just a trifle where you can notice the difference where everything is not at that like lightning fast pace. But when they start, when he starts playing his solos, it's, it's right back to, uh, you know, like fast as lightning. What really stuck out for me on, on needled and, and some of the other tracks, uh, such as Bodum beach terror, for example, I loved, I just love that guitar solo with the accompanying keyboard solo that follows it or precedes it. I've, I've always been a fan of that. I thought that Stradivarius were the masters of that. And, and here we are with another Finnish band that just, you know, takes the, t- takes that to another level with, with the, with the way that those two instruments complete complement each other. Um, I, I just found that this album had like quiet little hooks that just stayed with me for, for, for hours and until, until the next track. And, and by that, I mean, every track was like kind of sticking in my head by the end of this. And I did listen to it a bunch this week. Um, I just love the way that those two things, those two instruments complement each other. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, I had mentioned earlier that that's kind of what drew me into the band initially. Um, I found that I, on on initial listening of this album, um, it wasn't as key heavy as I had remembered from their previous release. And I think I kind of maybe initially kind of, uh, I don't know, like, thought that this wasn't going to be my favorite thing in the world or, or just, I wasn't going to enjoy it as much um, because it, it felt like they were moving into a, a more uh, thrashier, uh, like more like darker, crunchier kind of sound with a little less of the melodic part with the keyboards and everything. But you, you definitely get um, that keyboard, you know, that, that uh, classic keyboard sound that they were known for. It's still here. It's just not as, prominent but um you know i'm gonna i'm gonna bring this up early just because i feel like it's it's uh it makes sense at this point in the conversation but you know my favorite track from this album was actually angels don't kill which um might might be the slowest song on the album it's kind of like a a mid you know mid-tempo song but just because i love um I feel like the keys are really prominent in this track and it's really, it's really dark and, and uh, the guitar riffs are dark and, and the, the keys are really haunting. And um, so I'll just come in with it early. Like that was my pick for the week. Um, I, I, that's the song that really stood out to me uh, every time. The more I listened to the album, that was the one that really felt like a little bit different and, and, you know, in a good way. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I actually have a note on that. This really is the change of pace track, no question about it. It's it's the one I guess you'd say mid tempo track 
on the album where everything else is either fast or faster, uh, you know, depending on how fast they want to go. Um, and it's fitting. I think it's a fitting place on the album because it is right in the middle of the album. I feel like it's just like the turning point of, all right, we hit, we hit you with a bunch of fast stuff. We're going to slow it down now. And then right back, right back to it with triple corpse hammer blow. Uh, <laughs> and I, I should laugh. I, 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 some of these song titles are just absolutely ridiculous, but it's, um, not least of which is little blood red rotting hood. I think that might be one of my favorite song titles ever, <laughs> just because <laughs> I think it's hysterical. Uh, it's, it's, it's it, it, angels don't kill was strategically placed and and for good reason i think they did an excellent job with that um it, 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 i think that if you have an entire album even if it's only 35 or 40 minutes but if you have an entire album which is the same tempo and it's just they, they either slow it down or, or make it a little bit quicker i think it loses something i think you need a track like this in there to to really uh make some of the other tracks even stand out i, I don't think i could have said that any better yeah that's Exactly right. You know, it's funny when I when I was listening to this, and, and I guess you just can't help but hear other either influences or other bands when you hear certain things. I think it's always natural to make a comparison. I just want to name a couple that really just stood out to me, right? Like number one, I hear Nightwish throughout all of this. Obviously, it's heavier. Obviously, the vocals are different. But I, I, I think that the way that the keyboards kind of when they're not doing a keyboard solo, I think that the orchestration on some of this stuff really reminds me of like classic Nightwish, you know, like that, that power metal Nightwish sound, which uh, is, is immistakable. I uh, can't argue with that either. I, I definitely, um, as mentioned before, there's definitely like a, a, a Stradivarius influence here. Um, I just, it's it, where, where it all kind of takes a turn into being its own entity is the vocals, in my opinion, um, just, it, it puts it in, in a different, in its own category. And to be honest with you, like there are certain death vocals that I, I don't care for. I, um, Alexi's vocals are, are at the top for me, as far as, um, death metal vocals that I actually quite enjoy I, I i don't know what it is about it maybe it doesn't have like that really heavy guttural kind of sound to it it's a yeah, little it's more like a higher pitch right. like a scream more th- and, and again I, i'm not a vocal coach but there it's 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 distinguishable from from a lot of other death metal vocals and you know i actually i think we we i think it's time we do a death metal album just because uh a trial by fire for you i think we gotta we gotta play some of this real uh true death metal stuff just to get your thoughts on it um but i i agree with you i think like alexei's vocals are uh very unique when it comes to when it comes to this style and you know a lot of people classify it as melodic death metal i never really did to me it was really just power metal with different vocals personally yeah and that makes complete sense in all honesty like i mean i think it i think both make sense i mean just because it's melodic and it's death metal (laughs) so i don't know that i don't know i don't know if it if you would i don't know if like what you listen to now is like current you know, modern melodic death metal, if it fits into that category, I mean, it's kind of hard to say, but I mean, if, if you're going to consider this like the birth of of that genre, like, you know, it makes sense that that this band, you know, was the, the, the forebearer, I guess, of that type of music, but yeah, it is very, very power metal as well. I, I, I would say that this album, especially, um, definitely has, a thrash metal kind of vibe to it as well. 
I, I definitely agree with that. And maybe that's just because of the raw production on some of these tracks. And it's not a badly produced album by any means. It's just a little bit raw. Um, going back to some of the other influences, you know, I, I listened to a, a track like Six Pounder, the second track on the album, and I, 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 I just can't help but hearing a Pantera vibe to it. Never the biggest Pantera fan, but I, I do admit that he, Alexei almost sounds like Dimebag Daryl with some of those riffs in that song. That stuck out to me. And then there's another band that I know you're a big fan of as well. I, I hear a bit of a Machine Supremacy vibe, that Sweden, that Swedish Sid power metal thing that they got going on with like the, the video game sound that they have. I hear that in there too, just because of the way that some of these tracks are constructed. I don't know if you hear that as well. Uh, I can't say I noticed it, but now that you mention it, it definitely makes sense. Um, I, I don't know about you, but after I listened to Six Pounder, I was kind of in the mood for a hamburger. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's it's actually one of my better favorite tracks on the album, uh, to be honest with you. And, and I'll say one other thing. You know, they they you had mentioned that thrash influence before. I also hear a little bit of Slayer on here as well, and I think that that was I don't I mean I haven't read anything to that effect, but I think that Alexei's guitar work is very heavily influenced by that early Slayer sound. And ironically enough, uh, one of the Japanese bonus tracks for this is Silent Screen, which is a Slayer cover. So I think there's something to be said for that as well. Oh, for sure. Like you can tell if you. I actually went back and listened to Follow the Reaper after I listened to this album, and um, there you can definitely tell that there was a a change in, in the direction of the band. And it's kind of funny that, um, Alexi, you know, called this his, his favorite album, uh, his favorite Bodum album, because, um, like it, it's, it's gotten some criticism from, uh, some of the, the hardcore fans of the earlier, you know, the earlier albums, the, the, the old school fans. Um, so, Maybe uh, maybe the change wasn't well liked, you know, right away. But um, according to you know Wikipedia, it's uh, uh, all music designated as their best ever album and described as an album that is particularly worth listening to. Um, so you know, I, I can totally understand like both sides of the coin here. Like this is definitely. Uh, a really well done album it's got you know alexi shows his chops as a vocalist a guitar player and a songwriter all, all in one shot and and you know it's it's easy to see why he became such a legend in heavy metal and why his work is going to be sorely missed a hundred percent right. And I'll say this, you know, I think that we have the luxury of coming into this as not longtime fans of the band. And I think that that's the reason why, you know, I think we liked it as much as we did. And sometimes when you find a band and you and you're used to one sound, had we been had we been a fan of the band back in the mid 90s, we may not have liked the, this kind of transition, if you will, just because there was a certain sound that we had come to expect. And then there was a market change from it, a departure, if you will. But this, you know, coming from it from from on the back end, seventeen or eighteen years later, uh, highly enjoyable, and I and it's almost because of my ignorance that I think I enjoyed it as much as I did because uh, I feel like I have to go back and now check out some of that older stuff that I also missed because um, you know, like I said, he's, his work is sorely going to be missed, and I, it's you know, I'm getting into the band obviously after the fact, but you know, I'm into it, so I have to check out more. It's definitely akin to the conversation that we had a few weeks ago about uh, Dream Theater's 
falling into infinity it's kind of like and i also kind of in my head was thinking of like when halloween released pink bubbles go ape and chameleon it's like are these albums really bad or are they just you know victims of the band's early success and and them not following that path anymore um I, I, even so much, I, I guess like even, uh, you know, when we discussed, um, the, the new Nightwish album last week, um, you know, is, is it a disappointing album? Is it a, is it not a very good album or are we just used to Nightwish doing a certain thing so many times and they didn't do something that was expected. So, you know, if you took it and, and just listen to it by itself and you had no idea who the band was, maybe you would feel differently about it. And I feel like in this case, you know, uh, since neither one of us are, are really huge children of Bowdoin fans, we could kind of listen to it with fresh ears and not, and not have a preconceived notion about what the band is supposed to sound like. I couldn't have said it any better myself. I think that, you know, some bands evolve and some bands release the same album over and over again. And, it gets a little stale after a while, even if it's done well. It's it's uh, when you just release the same thing over and over again, and it really takes skill. A band like Amorphous, who releases the same album constantly, but it's so good that I almost forget that I've heard that same sound for the last seven discs. And that is not a slight against them. They are fantastic and one of my favorite bands, uh, and a band that's probably worth doing um, in the near future, but having a, having a discussion about. But to say that their albums have changed that much over the years would be a, a an overstatement. And then you have this, which is really just more of like a transition where they were pivoting away from, from their older sound and works for some people, may not work as well for others, but uh, I certainly enjoyed it. Uh, as far as my track of the week, I'm going to go with the with the first track, Needle 24-7, just because I found myself humming that even this morning when I woke up. Uh, I love the fast pace of the song, and I think that it's the perfect opening track. I it's along with uh hate cruel uh hate crew death roll the title track th- those were also uh two tracks that besides angels don't kill really stood out to me uh, of as songs I really appreciate like really enjoyed and it's kind of funny because it was the first last and middle track of of the album but um yeah I definitely understand why you would choose that it's a really really good tune yeah it it, it starts it starts great it has that transitional track in the middle and then it ends with a bang. So it's, it's, it was constructed. Well, let's just, let's just, I love, I love the beginning of, um, hate cruel, uh, hate crew. That's a hard thing to say really fast. Hate crew death roll. Um, the, the, the little keyboard opening to it, it reminded me of like a final fantasy game, like a soundtrack from a final fantasy game. Yeah. Um, And then it, then it just takes your head off with the riff, you know, it's it's kind of funny where that goes. Yep. So that, that, those were definitely my, you know, three favorite tracks. But as I mentioned earlier, Angels Don't Kill was uh, was definitely my favorite. It stand out for you. Yeah. What, 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 what are you going to rank this, a scale of one to 10? You know, for me, like, it, as a as not a huge, like, Children of Bowdoin fan, but somebody who really, like, just enjoys the band and appreciates them, uh, for me, I mean, it's a solid eight. Uh, it's, a, it's very good. It's not my favorite thing in the world. Um, it's a little bit on the short side for a full length album, but um, you can't take away anything away from the musicianship and the, the songwriting. And, you know, it's, it's very good. I just, I, for me, it's a solid eight. 
Yeah, I, I was going to give it the same thing. I think that if I really delve deeper into their back catalog, that may move up or down depending on, you know, kind of what I think about the other stuff. But just in a vacuum, it was something that I really enjoyed. And, um, you know, it's something that I'll definitely play again. I, I think we'd be remiss not to just talk about some of Alexei's accolades uh, over the years. You know, he's, he's, uh, on the one hand, I think that he's an underrated guitar player because he just um, you never really hear his name talked about with like the all time greats. But um, in 2004, he was ranked the 96th greatest heavy metal guitarist in the world by Guitar World. Uh, they also ranked him as one of the top 50 fastest guitar players in the world, which uh, if you listen to this album, I think that that's uh, not not a uh, not a bad uh, conclusion to come to. Uh, Roadrunner Records had ranked him number 41 for the greatest frontman of all time, which I thought was a nice little feather in his cap um, because you never really talk much about the vocals. It's always about the fact that he's a guitar aficionado. And uh, one other one other one, which I thought was really interesting, Total Guitar had a uh, public vote that they wanted to uh, put forth and I guess ask the people what they thought in terms of who the greatest metal guitarist of all time was. And uh, coming in with over 20% of the vote, he was ranked the number one metal guitarist of all time. And, and you know, obviously these publications are going to say certain things about, um, you know, what the quote unquote experts think. But when the fans put you as number one, I think that that's probably the biggest compliment of all. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that to me, like that's just, you know, that kind of uh, that kind of recognition for, by that from that many people that don't have you know a dog in the fight so to speak yeah i think you're right that that means an awful lot and it and it's well deserved yeah a hundred a hundred percent and I, like i said i'm gonna i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna listen to some more of his stuff just because uh you know i i i missed it it was it was a it was a it was a void in my uh in my knowledge and i'm, I'm gonna go back and listen to some more uh and with that it really i think that that's kind of a nice place to put a bow on uh on our little tribute to uh children of bodom and then obviously he'll be sorely missed and uh, i speak for everyone when i say that uh the world was a better place with him in it when he was creating music no doubt about it and uh you know i i was not aware that children of bodom had had uh splintered last year or i guess yeah, I guess it would have been at the or twenty nineteen. I, I don't. Yeah, really at know the end of twenty end of twenty nineteen or early, earlier. Yeah, I, I don't even know what year it is anymore. Um, I, I wasn't aware that they weren't a band anymore, and I also wasn't aware that um, Alexi was uh, in poor health. Which uh, my understanding is that this wasn't a, a sudden thing. Um, no, they did. I think they did a pretty decent job of keeping that under wraps. I guess that must have been the family's wishes. It was certainly news to me. Um, you know, it's funny. I, just one other anecdote. I've never seen the band live. I've, I've seen so many bands over the years, but for some reason, I just either skipped Bodum shows because of other obligations, or I simply just didn't. You know, I guess the timing just didn't work for me. But I, you know, in retrospect, I I went back and I watched some of the live videos on YouTube, and 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 you can see it's it's not a product of the studio. The guy can just shred live too. It's 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 a shame that it's something that you know I'll never get to see. Yeah, same. I, I really wish that I would have been able to. I feel like had I seen them live when I was younger, I might have had more interest in the band when I got older. I think that seeing them live would have made a huge difference. I, I, I completely agree with that. Um, but alas, we have the videos and we have the music to, to look back on. Um, you know, but and as I said, we'll, we'll bring Within Temptations Mother Earth to everybody next week. But before we go, I just want to kind of reflect back on, on, on our best of 2020 episode. I think that uh, it just 
deserves a little bit more conversation. Um, I, I know that we were talking off air. There was a couple of things you wanted to talk about in particular. Yeah, you know, there was just so much to cover that, um, and, and I and I felt like I was doing a lot of talking, and I wanted to make sure that you know you got to to talk about your albums as well, since I got to kind of start the conversation last week. But um, yeah, this is my you know the the detriment of me not being a note taker, I guess. But it, all the better. I probably would have just gotten a little long winded anyway. Um, yeah, there was a couple of things I just wanted to mention. Um, there was a couple of EPs that were released in um, 2020. Um, one being uh, by a band called uh, Dendera, who we mentioned a couple of times on the podcast. Uh, Ashley Edison's their vocalist. He's also the vocalist for Power Quest. They released um, a very good EP with a lot of uh, a lot of cool uh, guests on the album, and the album was called uh, "Reborn into Darkness." Um, we didn't really, uh, count EPs in our list. So, um, that's kind of why it didn't make the list, but I thought it was worth mentioning. I also, um, wanted to mention, um, soil work, uh, also released an EP. I mean, would you consider an EP? I mean, there were only five tracks, but one of them was like 16 minutes. Yeah, no, it's definitely, to me, it was definitely an EP. It just didn't quite make it to that album level. But, you know, I, I think you make a good point. There were actually a number of good EPs. You mentioned two of them. I wanted to just mention the Wolverine EP that I had spoke about earlier called The Darkened Sun. I thought all three of those EPs were really good. Um, unfortunately, though, uh, because we are doing top 50 albums, none of them qualify. Otherwise, <laughs> I'm sure that they, uh, you, you're talking about three of the better EPs that came out last year. Yeah, and the soil work uh, EP was called "A Wisp of the Atlantic," and it has a really epic title track that's sixteen and a half minutes long. Really good stuff, um, which is different for them because a lot of their stuff has always traditionally been kind of shorter. Hit, you know, get in, get out, and then move on to the next track. So it was interesting to see them do such an epic, uh, epic song. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. I was definitely intrigued when I first uh, downloaded it and saw how long the track was. Um, uh, the, also, the track "The Nothingness and the Devil" was very enjoyable and and if you like soil work you know that's a track for you and you know a natural segue here speaking of soil work um one of the uh one of the cool uh things that came out of the pandemic and the the time that these musicians had spent you know at home and not being able to tour was this project uh called at the movies which kind of was just this youtube uh youtube only thing uh, where a bunch of metal musicians got together and recorded um, these covers of, of, of tracks from 80s movies. And uh, you're, you, you will hear Bjorn uh, from Soilwork do a lot of his, his really excellent clean vocals, and they do really, really well done covers of uh, you know tracks like No Easy Way Out, from Rocky Four, um, what else did they do? I'm just uh, off the top of my head. Uh, Saint Elmo. So one of my favorite tracks from the '80s is Saint Elmo's Fire from the movie Saint Elmo's Fire by John Parr. Um, they do a really killer cover of uh, of that song. That was probably my favorite of all the covers that they did. Uh, no Easy Way Out might have been if 
Beast in Black didn't record what I consider the definitive version of that song. <laughs> I could not agree more with that. I was uh, that was the one track that I was, and I thought that they did a fantastic job. And I think that everything's available on YouTube. I'm not sure if they've actually released them for purchase at this point. But the the, the No Easy Way Out cover was like really really good but it, the the definitive version was definitely the beast in black version right and they do you know uh they do cover of the power of love from back to the future the heat is on from beverly hills cop uh the theme from the never ending story like just really good stuff um you, you know there's uh appearances by um ronnie atkins from pretty maids who we'd mentioned previously um so uh, really good stuff. I don't have the list of uh, the musicians' names right in front of me at the moment, but it's basically like a super band of just guys at home doing their thing, and uh, and somebody you know produced it, put it all together, and it sounds like a band that's all in one place. But um, just I mean, just really, 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 really good stuff, and super cool that that you know, they found something that they could do uh, during the pandemic to, to kind of, you know, keep eyes, on, their ears on the music and to entertain the fans. And I believe the album was released on vinyl. Um, it's okay. not, it's not available uh, on like iTunes or Spotify or anything like that, but I do believe that you can buy the album on vinyl. Um, I think they have a, a web store somewhere. And one other band I wanted to mention um, is a local, uh, not local, but a, U- a U.S. B- uh, metal band called Anaria, and they're out of, uh, you know, New England. Um, they released a new album in 2020 called Exile, but it came out at the very end of the year. I didn't really get a chance to listen to it until 2021, but I really enjoyed it. So I just wanted to mention uh that as as something and and we'll post uh, a a song from that uh during the week on on the social media pages nice uh you know speaking of the social media pages we had posted uh our top 25 and top 50 respectively our, our playlist if you will that kind of goes along with our best of 2020 episode and you'll notice that uh, on my playlist it's actually 51 tracks not 50 i i added a bonus track if you will from a band called project aegis uh, it, it was a really a charity project kind of spearheaded by uh, Matt Smith, the mastermind guitar player, singer from Theocracy. Uh, but the reason I, I bring this up is this particular track that I added, it's nine minutes in length. And you want to talk about a, a cast of, of vocalists. Check this out. You got obviously Matt Smith doing vocals and so, wrote the song, but you have guest spots on the one track by Neil Morse, obviously of... You know, Morse Band, Transatlantic, uh, Flying Colors, Spock's Beard, uh, Fame, etc. Daniel Hyman from Lost Horizon and Heed and Harmony and other tra- other bands as well. Uh, Leah McHenry, who has uh, become one of the better symphonic metal vocalists out there as well. Uh, the way that these three very unique vocalists, plus Matt Smith, of course, come together uh, it's nothing short of spectacular and it deserves to be heard. And quite frankly, if they released a full disc, I'm sure it would have been in the top 50, but instead we just have the one track for this year. So definitely check that as well. Check that out as well. And I would also direct everyone to their Bandcamp page. Uh, you can buy the track for a dollar. And like I said, it is a 100% of, uh, of, of the income derived from the track goes to charity. So I, I definitely, uh, recommend everyone purchasing that. Uh, when I saw it on your list, I, 
was like absolutely flabbergasted that it came out in 2020. Like it felt like I had, I heard that song three years ago. I forgot that. Yeah. It came out. But it, I agree with you. It's definitely, in my opinion, it was one of the best songs of 2020 and is definitely, we'll post that as well. It's definitely worth, worth hearing really, really good, good tune. Could not agree more. Uh, and uh, yeah, 2020 felt like an eternity. So I, I'm not I'm not too surprised that it felt like years ago. Um, but I think that that uh, puts a nice bow on this week. Uh, next week, we come back with Within Temptations, Mother Earth. And we look, uh, look forward to you uh, all joining us at that time. Absolutely. Uh, thanks again for all the uh the positive feedback the uh the reviews the the ratings um i i i think i said this before but i'll say it again i'm i'm kind of amazed at, at how many people are listening out there and it's it's much appreciated definitely i i definitely agree with that and we uh we hope that that continues uh into the new year so uh with that we will sign off hope all is well and i will talk to you soon bud all right take care